0: Mission Impossible Fallout, Sales of Glory, and the Betway Reds. This is Staying In.
1: But yeah, that's uh, what I've been I've been doing loads of model stuff recently, uh, loads of miniature wargaming stuff, bit of Bushido, uh, been modelling up my Burrows and Badgers with a lovely uh, mud base, and Alex is doing something actually fancy, which is a little cot little co- cobblestone base for alex
2: so how do you make mud in miniatures world? because you've already established that you can't just take stones from the outside mm-hmm. and put them on a model so i'll take no. it you can't just get mud, mud.
1: okay um so it's a uh, you can use one or two things they're kind of very similar modeling clay yeah uh, so something like milliput um which is also something that i mean Sam you might have some experience with it uh, when you're doing actual real DIY so milliput is actually used uh, in, for fixing boilers and for fixing little cracks in places And basically it's, they, they, they kind of both feel like clay, they have the texture of clay and, and they come in two separate tubes and by themselves they just stay in that form like quite malleable but as soon as yeah. you start to mash them together they have 24 hours before it becomes basically concrete so it's very clever stuff it's a race against the clock it's a race against the clock <laughs> Make Who knew miniatures
2: Walmart. could be so much fun yeah
1: um, <laughs> and there's another one called green stuff um and it's basically it's basically the same thing so you do that and to do to do that on a base you basically get you put the two bits of milliput together, and then you roll roll it up, roll it up, and then it becomes the same colour. So it's two slightly different colours and then they become the same colour. Then you roll it out and then you press it around the base and then you use something uh, flat, like um, the end of a spoon or something like that. And then you mash it into the base and that kind of gives it a a, a rough texture of mud, something like that. And then Alex did something amazing. She basically just did a really flat surface. As far as I can tell, she did a really flat surface then scored into it with a carving knife and basically... Did proper sculpting in, into the base, and then for her brows and Budges minis, they look like they're in a ta- hers. Look like they're in a town centre because they're royalists. That's like the the, the role playing side of things. Well, they're minis. like sat at a Starbucks, and yeah, that's sort of thing. <laughs> um, and then um, sort of medieval fantasy Starbucks. It's always oh, still get the name wrong, but the name is like I don't know what's a medieval name. Godric. Anthony. Yeah, go- yeah, uh, no Godric, but it's spelt like. F 3 exclamation mark emoji.
0: Anthony, like what? Prince Tony.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hey, Prince um, Tone. Tony, Tony, where are you put the shields? Where the, sh- the shields? Yeah.
1: Where are you putting the tur with the like bizarrely large turkey drumstick? Where are you putting that? <laughs> so, so there's that. And then mine were mud. Uh, so mine are meant to be in a forest. And so they're a bit more like rough and tumble. So um, all of their, their backstory is that they're basically all just thieves and they steal their clothes. So like all of their, 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 like their hat and their trousers and stuff like that, they, don't, they all look quite rough and ready. But each of them is wearing like a spangly new jacket that looks really pristine and lovely, whereas everything else is just covered in grot and grime. Um, and they're like hanging out in a forest and it looks like they're the sort of people who
0: mug you. They're great.
1: And the, the game that I've actually been playing a whole bunch
0: of is Cells of Glory. Now this is Ares Games, isn't it? Yeah. How, yeah. how are you
2: spelling sales? Because there's two different games there, really. There is, isn't there? One
1: one is about going onto Steam and not spending all of your money, and then one of them is Napoleonic Warfare. Mm. <laughs> oh my word! Ah, oh, so exciting. So this is Ares Games. This is the same people that we uh, talked about. Well, actually, the Chris that you talked about with the One Ring. War of
0: the Ring, uh, Battle of Five Armies, Hunt for the Ring, yeah, and it's uh, but those are set in the One Ring universe, is that right? They're is... set in the War of the Ring universe, Lord of the Rings, yeah, by J.R. Tolkien. Okay,
1: cool. So,
0: <laughs> so uh, he was a writer from England. <laughs> oh, yeah, is it?
2: How far back do you want S- to go? What? Semi,
0: <laughs> semi-successful. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: I, okay. uh, I, I think I'm up to speed. Just so as they were doing that I think at the same time they also were putting out a game called Sales of Glory and Sales of Glory is Napoleonic era sh- warships fighting one another so it's the English versus the French that's in the starter set which is what I got sent very kindly and there's also other factions as well that you can get so you can buy little expansions which are single ships and then you add them into the game and then you can play with different fleets and different kinds of people and I think you can get little special captains that go on your boats and all that sort of stuff but uh, the main thing is uh, this so the starter set uh, comes with uh, four ships two French two British and they are proper old-school ships with sails right they're yeah, not like speedboats, not like speedboats. There's no motor out the back. there's no hip-hop parties, <laughs> there's no like crystal getting popped or anything like that. It's none of
2: that. Okay, okay, critical question Yeah, All right. You're making mud, fair dues but now I've got a Napoleonic war game. yeah. the question on everyone's lips is, do they float? do they what? Do they float? Do what float? The miniatures.
1: Oh right! Do you just put them in the water? Because in Sam's
2: head, Pete, you're sat
0: in the bath doing this. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Um, and literally, Alex is
2: coming in, and you're. (laughs)
0: <laughs>
3: he's Cl- he's telling uh, us these are like proper little intricate miniatures. Yes. These are just absolutely plastic yeah. ships
0: that he's yeah. bought from yeah. the toy shop.
1: <laughs> she comes in, she comes in I'm like, "Uh, close the door. This is very
0: serious business." He sat there with like a he sat with his little sailor's hat on. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say
2: like yeah. the weirdest thing about it is he's fully dressed in admiral <laughs> uniform.
1: <laughs> I don't have a bath, so I can't no, test it. In um, the shower it's even worse. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so It's funny you should say anything to do with modeling, really, because these are actually fully painted. They come fully painted, they come fully assembled. You don't have to put anything like that together. It's a miniatures game in the same way that X-Wing is a miniatures game, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so you get the models, you buy them, they're detailed, that's what they're going to look like. I mean, you could re-spray them, redo them, all that sort of stuff, but I don't think many people do. Um, And indeed, it uses a very similar system to X-Wing. It has movement that is hidden before it is revealed in a turn so for example it's handled in the way that so you have two ships on either side in the start set and you have a deck of cards and the deck of cards is never randomized um, in the basic game so i've been playing the basic game and you are have access to all of the abilities of your ship and you basically choose which path you want your ship to go down using these cards because The model, you put the card down, face down on the table, and then everybody else does that. And then you say, okay, is everyone ready? Yep, cool. You flip cards round and everyone moves at the same time. Then you work out uh, the actual shooting phase. And then you move on to the next turn that's this is the basics of the basic game and you actually use the card to move there's no dice roll there's no tape measurement there's none of that stuff it's just this is how much i move so there's a lot of strategy in this and so you work out where you want to go so you you move your ship round on this card they are huge boats so they and they feel like really big boats in so much as you can't just like turn on the spot like you have to use the direction of the wind which is cons- which in the basic game is set it's like this is blowing to the west therefore if you are if you are p- facing a certain angle you will be able to move uh, in this way if you aren't then you aren't right like pretty pretty straightforward like you have to use the wind to your uh, abilities So it has this movement that is hidden, and then you go on to the combat phase. And the combat phase, again, in the basic game, is two types of shot, and you have little rulers... And then you basically say, am I able to hit in this range? And you go, hmm, because you're not allowed to pre-measure or anything like that. You go, yeah, I'm going to fire. And then you go, yep, okay. And then you figure out, am I in range? If no, then you've wasted your ammo and you have to take a whole turn to reload. Or, yes, I'm in range. And if you are in range of your enemy vessel, then you begin to take chits out of a bag. And then kind of like Arkham Horror in the way that that, that it handles its luck. Um, The chaos bag. the, The chaos bag. Yeah you take these chits out of the thing and you see okay yeah that was a miss that was a hit to the uh, the boat itself or that was a hit to the crew and you're in front of you you also have a, a set of tracks and you can lose crew you can lose damage to your ship and if you lose cre- if you lose damage to your ship again this is in the basic game you you become less powerful because you've obviously got less cannons you've got less crew to man those cannons you've got uh, less ability generally and it does feel like ship combat because you are basically trying to outwit your opponent and probably move like fairly slowly across the board and try and set up basically instances where you have as much of your bow facing your opponent as possible so that you can put as many cannons into them as possible
2: so so is it is it is the wind state you just sink everyone else's battleships or the other person concedes mm.
1: Lo- loads of scenarios so that, again the, the basic one that you play first of all is is, yeah, you basically have to get your the opponents to surrender, which is you defeat all of their ships. Um, yeah, and so you just think, and it's really straightforward. So what feels like really super grognardi and like what uh, the hell's a
2: grognard?
1: Okay, well, okay. So a, a grognard, the original of it is an old soldier. It's from Napoleonic times, right? All right. But okay. now in games, it's meant to mean. It, 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 <laughs> When it came over to games as a term, it meant like old school gamer, like old school war gamer specifically. And now it kind of just means like anybody who is into things that have a very high level of investment in terms of time. So like uh, Napoleonic ship battles is probably a grognardy activity. It's Mm. not a light and fluffy, it's not cockroach poker, right? It's the, the opposite of that. It's lots of time and investment. And it feels like it should be that. But the basic game that we played was over in an hour and a half. And for a miniature war game about... Like about Napoleonic ship warfare, that is really accessible, and it just gave it gave me this experience of of a ship combat game that I would I'd would never be able to I I just would not have the time or inclination to investigate otherwise. Like I wouldn't want to make bottles and sh- you know ships in a bottle and and all that <laughs> rubbish, rubbish.
3: Well, I'll, I'll, you say I'll, that I'll, now, I can ab- I can absolutely see that in your future. I'll be I'll be into it next week. It'll be it'll be what i'm doing
0: but so how big how big's is the playing space pete is this like a board on the table how big is it have like a small little kitchen
1: table like it's like maybe through like three feet by th- four feet we squeezed it into it wasn't an issue
2: like small so so to me it, it sounds a lot a lot of what Ares does with its mechanics it's really good so a lot of its theme is done through the mechanics that yeah that they use so i like the idea of you know you you play a card for your direction because that makes sense thematically because you're a ship and it's not like you can just do a quick three-point turn or a quick handbrake turn on your you know 10 ton uh, schooner because you're you're a ship so you put in we want to go in that direction and that's it that's your card down there's nothing that changes yeah. and how it, that dictates. It
1: feels like you're working with the elements right yeah. so like the yeah. fact that you've got a wind direction the fact that you have to think about that stuff even in the basic game, and, and there, is, there is a basic game, a, uh, an advanced game, and then there is optional rules that make it even more complex if you really wanted to. I've just been playing the basic game. But the basic game, you feel like you are using the environment, You feel like you feel like you are the captain making a decision, this is what we are going to do, and hopefully, it will lead to success and also in the, in the first two turns I managed to we were playing two versus two so we were on one side uh, on one team and we had two opponents as well and uh, I managed to crash into my uh,
0: ally because do you know what? I was just going to joke that that's probably what something you would have done. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Because basically, basi- basically, we were like, right, we should totally do this. Yeah, cool. Put the cards down. Yeah, let's let's sort that out. We revealed the cards, and we totally underestimated how much we were moving, and we ended to just clip into one another. And yeah, it, and it was like again, it was that feeling of because you you're working, in, you can't pre-measure anything. You can't you can you can only go to set lengths. You can't you can't say, oh, I want to move. I can move up to six inches, and then only move three. You you have to move the whole distance because there is a bit of that fudging it feels like that not having direct communication with the other ship you know like yeah it feels like those disasters could happen because you are in this situation where you can't really you can't communicate it's very difficult to communicate with the other player about exactly how you're actually moving forward and so forth but the basic game is really good but dan
2: Uh uh-oh uh-oh toby's
0: first christmas
1: (laughs) yeah um (laughs) it is too high a price for you to get this by yourself and take a risk on it somebody like yourself who is like i don't play miniature games i don't play these super intense games that look super intense and detailed on the outside it is like 75 quid
3: for a starter for an entry fee and that is quite high
1: not super high for a miniature game. that's that's
3: very high Especially for someone, as you say, who doesn't play any of these games and wouldn't have the opportunity to play them.
2: What's the op- what's the opposite of a grognak or whatever it was? A grognod. grognard. Grognard. I I just say like Ross from Friends or something like that or Joey. Yeah.
1: A Ro- <laughs> right. But like what? A, <laughs> what? A, what a, a, a...
2: No. Yeah. No. Yeah. An op- an opposite an opposite of a Grognard is a Joey from Friends. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. No,
1: yeah. you're absolutely right. Dan, do you have a bath? <laughs> I do have a bath. But he does. There we you're already halfway there, Dan. Here's the key thing. I think for somebody like you, it would be too much to take a risk on and because it's, it doesn't on the outside look like your kind of game. However, I really want to put this in front of you because I think you would enjoy it as a fun game. Like I think it's not as, I think you would get the, the, the kind of experience of what I enjoy about miniature wargaming. You would get that experience in a time that would not take you six hours. It would take you an hour and a half and you go, oh, okay, I can see why you enjoy this. Yeah, this isn't for me, but I can see why you enjoy these. It's that kind of game. It's this strange middle step between, like, board games and then, like, I've decided to make a, you know, I've decided to make a... a, a, I've made a life choice. I've made a life choice. Well, I,
2: I think I could probably do one better and slip something in between board games and Sales of Glory. With the official board game of the D-Day landings, what's it called again? Memoir 44. That's the one. Yeah. Yep. Like to me, this is like Memoir 44 sounds like a minute, a war miniatures game, just one below in terms of technical right. ability and understanding. And I think that's more of an introduction of right. Do you like the ideas of controlling miniatures? Do you enjoy the ideas of having? Mm. You know your cards that have got orders on them, and you play them not knowing what other cards your mm. player opposite have got. And then yeah. once those orders are initiated, everything's down to well, I can only move my troops there, and this is the result of what that movement mm. or what that dice roll has I, been. I, so, I think
1: both of those games inhabit that space. Genuinely, I think I think they because they're relatively fast, and they each have a different element of war games to them.
2: Yeah, yeah, then, a, a, a different element only in the way that that they have, you know, the the dice rolling is a lot more randomised rather than the, you know, the chits in the bag which is a system that I really think is great the, Yeah, and there's, there's games like, there
1: is a great history of ship-based miniature wargaming like Dystopian Wars, for example, or let's say something like Drop Fleet Commander where it's big hulking vessels moving around a space and this is that, but it is in in its basic form slightly stripped down to the point where you could literally get anybody playing this like people who have played at least one board game in their life of any level could play Cells of Glory and enjoy the heck out of it and understand the theme and that's that for me is like brilliant <laughs> Is Mission Impossible Fallout, is is Fallout, is it you want to talk about Mission Impossible or Fallout, or is Mission Impossible Fallout?
3: That's the, the name of the film
1: is
0: Mission Impossible Fallout.
1: Is there a new Mission Impossible?
0: Yeah. I mean, clearly their marketing hasn't been as aggressive as they hoped it would be. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> um,
0: I was walking through France the other day and the posters were everywhere.
2: Yeah, I was, I was in Italy the other day and the posters were everywhere there too, so. But clearly, clearly not in, in Bristol. Bristol. No, like, <laughs> not on my not on my 15-minute
1: commute walk
2: to work. <laughs>
1: that
0: that single road that you walk down. Yep.
2: Blinkered. Yep. So what is it?
0: What is it? Well, it's 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 the sixth Mission Impossible film, Pete. Um, which have you seen with each any successive of successive film, films? the word "impossible" becomes less of a reliable term. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I've seen, I've seen the really good one with the motorcycle fight.
2: Oh yeah, the John Woo one, Mission Impossible. 2. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw that, and I just thought this is ludicrous and brilliant. Yeah, I th- think I saw maybe the first one. Do they rob a bank in the first one?
0: Uh, well, the first one was the famous sequence where he's suspended from the ceiling, and he catches like a bead of sweat to yes, stop it from going on I've the pressure-sensitive floor. Seen that one
1: as well, but I've not seen any of the others.
0: Okay. So to cut a long story short, you've seen the first two. <laughs> I think
1: so. I think so. And, oh and I watched the um I used to watch the T V series.
0: Did you? Yeah, with Martin Lander and Barbara Bach.
1: Yeah, it was really good. Look at that for modern
0: popular
2: culture <laughs> references. <You> Grugnad
0: <laughs> Um so yeah, so this is Mission Impossible Six that Sam and I saw We did. Where basically it's a blistering action film that is almost Mad Max-esque in the fact of its pace. It has a quite slow first third or so, but you're still engaged, where essentially three plutonium balls, let's say, have gone missing. <laughs> and I don't know what the technical term I, is. I would
2: have said cause, but balls sounds, uh, balls. I, as a thrilling
1: film. <laughs> a where are the balls, in. Ethan? <laughs> Man comes running into MI5.
0: Sir, you won't believe what happened. We've lost the balls. <laughs> Why make them round? They can clearly just easily roll away if somebody drops them. The balls have gone hot. So they've, they've been misplaced, essentially, and the whole film is about trying to get them back right. yeah. to avoid, as in the title, a fallout of sorts. Oh, yeah.
1: OK.
0: Yeah, so I hadn't really seen much of the marketing, but that was deliberate. That wasn't just Pete. I, I chose not to, and I'm really glad I didn't because one of the things that is re- incredibly striking, and it only really sunk in after leaving the cinema and listening to Empire's epic, yeah, what was yeah. it, like four and a half hours in total, Sam? It'll be? A spoiler podcast. Yes. With just the interview with the director and writer Christopher McQuarrie, who wrote one of my favourite films of all time, *The Usual Suspects*. Who's just an extraordinary man to listen to. He's an anecdote factory. He's yeah. incredible, and he's just, every sentence he says is just like it sounds like law. The way he's describing, and he's just so honest. And there's something quite heartening about listening to a, an auteur essentially who just feels that he doesn't get it right sometimes. And each time he works, he learns from his mistakes, and he's constantly learning on the job. They didn't have a script when they started filming. Just no. a list of stunts that Tom Cruise wanted to do. And they only strung a narrative together through the filming. It's fascinating to hear it. And this could have really died on its ass. I mean, it's the sixth film in a series, but it really doesn't. It really doesn't die on its ass. Tom Cruise is incredible. Yeah. He does his own stunts. How old's Tom Cruise, About would you say?
2: 55, I think, now. Without.
0: Did you see that tweet somebody put the other day? Tom Cruise is now three years older than when... Richard Wilson. Richard Wilson took on... Did the first episode of um, One Foot in the Grave?
2: That's incredible. I mean, he is—he's uh, looking well. Yeah, he's—he's he's pretty amazing. And no matter what you think about his his politics or his uh, lifestyle choices, I think the way that. Chris McQuarrie talks about him. And if you like film or have any interest in, you know, movies and how they're put together, I I, I really recommend watching this film and then listening to the fantastic Empire spoiler specials because the director gives you an insight into how, like big budget films are made in quite an honest and candid way and i think even though this one's a bit unusual in the fact that like they were literally putting it together on the day and you know just not really knowing how a scene would finish or knowing that they have to get this stunt in but they don't know how to get to it like that is just absolutely staggering you know you think this is a big franchise movie that's being bankrolled by a by a sort of like a massive conglomerate like Hollywood studio that they have this kind of direction but the way like the director talks about it just gives you a fascinating insight into his process and you know how Tom Cruise works and his opinions and on and ideas of what should go into a movie and it makes for a fascinating watch like i've probably since the third or the fourth mission impossible movie i've always said that these are the best bond films that have never been made i think bond made a really silly move when it decided to go full on into like being born and being and pete by that i mean b-o-u-r-n-e
1: oh um jason Bourne.
2: Yeah, it's the one. Correct. Well done. Uh, I think I think that fitted for Casino Royale, like gritting it up and like being a bit of a shock. But for me, the best bonds have always been the one that skirt the line between serious and honest threat, but also the silliness and the outlandish that comes. Who's to the best that? bond?
0: Pierce Brosnan. Uh, for me, Timothy Dalton.
3: No, it's, it's for me it's Daniel Craig. It's no. Sean Connery.
2: Anyway. It's Pierce Brosnan. Anyway.
1: Well,
3: what a, what a diverse group we are. And it's not Pierce Brosnan, yeah. no, Craig.
2: Yeah. Well, you, everyone's entitled to your opinion, uh, but all your opinions are wrong. Anyway.
3: Nobody said George Be <laughs> At the end
0: of the day, he drove an <laughs> invisible car. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't get to win the prize. But Sam's absolutely right. Like the the Mission Impossible films I can just watch at any time because like the Bourne films are great, but they're just they're very intense. Yeah. Yeah. Because there there are there's ridiculous technology in Mission Impossible. They've always managed to kind of present it in such a way in which it could be feasible, um, it could be doable. That's never really front and centre really the technology. You don't get overly dazzled by it, it's more about the stunts. And on that on on that subject really, Tom Cruise does his all the stunts here. Like, what was it you telling me, Sam, about the helicopter?
2: So there's one scene in it with a helicopter and Tom Cruise said that he wanted to have shots inside the helicopter and the only way to do it was to have Tom Cruise flying the helicopter. So he learnt how to fly a helicopter in about two weeks when the usual span is about six months, like a year to learn how to fly one of these helicopters. So he learnt how to do it in a matter of weeks and was flying it, but not only flying it, but with a camera rig inside there, knowing that he's got to get certain shots and be in certain positions to get to get certain angles. And like, that's just a sign of his dedication.
3: That's a, that's a sign of a reckless insurance department who have allowed that.
2: <laughs>
0: Oh, Pete! How long, how long did it take you to make Sorbo? <laughs> <laughs> it was months, wasn't it?
2: There's, yeah, there's a, um, there's a fantastic online feature about how they put together that shot and um, on what they kind of the length they went through, and it's really odd watching it because when you see it, there's one particular moment in that sequence which is CGI because it's the only way they could have possibly done it without someone physically dying, and it sticks out like a sore thumb because so much of the movie is practical and the brilliant thing about that is that not only does it make it more believable and you know that it's not a stuntman doing it but also it allows uh, the director to put his camera in really interesting places and actually get more interesting shots than if they were just doing it in front of a green screen and, you know, in a, in a lot in Pinewood or whatever. So I, I can't, I, I really want to watch this movie again because the stunts are just that good and the story's okay. It's not as good as some of the other Mission Impossible stories, but yeah, it's worth seeing just to see, you know, Tom Cruise throw himself about at 50 and think maybe one day I'll go for that run. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm looking, at, I'm looking at the table for fantasy football. Yeah. And I see Richard Simpson, number one. Oh, our good friend. Good friend. Number three, Brian McNamara, number three. And I see in the middle there, number two, with GW, 66. And game week. 66. Total.
3: So, so that's 66 <laughs> points in the game week, 66 points in total, because it is game week one. Yeah,
1: yep. I see that. I that's me. I'm number two.
3: And I, I mean, that's a very impressive, Pete, because I know you put an awful lot of work into picking your players. I
1: did actually, thank you. Yeah, yeah I actually did. I, I made sure I had Yarmolenko, who plays for Betway
3: in the middle. Well, yeah, he that's doesn't... right. That's absolutely true. That's not the sponsor on the shirt. That's the name of the team.
1: <laughs> oh, is it not the Betway Reds or something?
3: No, the no Betway no.
2: Reds. <laughs>
3: No, I think you'll find uh, that he plays for West Ham United, whose shirt sponsor is a company called Betway. But, you know, good good try, good try. Oh. God, how am I near the bottom <laughs> of this bloody league if he can't even tell what team he's picked? I don't know, Chris. I <laughs> do like the fact that I think both Chris and Pete probably took this because of your kind of you don't follow football so you don't have kind of as much of a knowledge of football as say me and sam who do follow football you made the sensible decision to i think to quite liberally use the um auto pick function and now for one of you that that seems like it may have worked whereas the other it, it it may not have because one of you has finished number two and one of you after the first
0: week is second from bottom mm. it's even worse than because i actually did research Oh okay. And it shows that it wasn't needed whatsoever because I could have just done the auto pick. Hey, there were the
3: I I looked at both of your teams when they were when that 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 opened up so I could see. And I was impressed with both of you to the point that I assumed it had been auto picked. So, Chris, I, I I'd, I'd stand by your team. You've 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 had a little week to start. Don't be dis don't be disheartened. There's a there's another 37 weeks to go.
2: Fantasy football is interesting, isn't it? Because this is the week everyone gets excited, but it's it's like it's like week twenty-five. How much are you still, you know, are you still invested in in your teams and making changes? Like that—that's the true—that's the true test of, of of surviving in a in a fantasy football league. I mean, you say that I
3: played it last year and I stuck with it all the way through and i did awfully every single decision i made backfired so it it can be good sometimes and it can be bad to 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 keep an eye on it keep changing it
1: i mean speaking from an expert perspective somebody who's like number two for example in a league
2: yeah well really we should get richard simpson on because he's obviously the expert yeah
1: Yeah, we should actually get him on quite soon to do that because uh i think you find uh being number two for example um you just have to you just have to check in you know I've downloaded the app onto my phone and you just have to check in you you have to make sure that you're getting all your datas in from your
3: go on your your websites about fancy stuff what was your reasoning behind uh, Yarmolenko Yarmolenko yeah but from Betway. From Betway, he's he's
1: well, he's um. He's click he's click, click click. Google Google <laughs> so, Google. No, so 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 he so so uh what what you'll see is on the fantasy uh, on the on the website it says that you know he's got he's got st- they've all got statistics like influence creativity threat all that kind of thing. And what I really valued with Andre uh, Yamalenko is his creativity, like 0.8. I sort of look at him and I think he'd probably be quite good at you know like firing a pot, or he'd be very good at like putting that last little you know that last little uh, sort of zhuzh into a dish for example so i just thought i think that'd be really nice so that off when when they've played their game when they come off they could all have like a nice meal and hang out and then like yamalenko yeah, can just be like oh, this, this nice look at this good quality glaze that i've put over this pot and i think people like L- lalana and uh, antonio would really really enjoy that
3: i love the fact that the three names you've picked okay one yeah. of them didn't play
0: and yep. the other two both lost four nil. Okay, yeah. But- How did you get second? <laughs> I just I can't get over this. I was so angry when I looked at the, the league table because <laughs> you and I were at the same on Saturday, Pete. We were at exactly the same points.
2: Yeah, I, I'm I'm still surprised that Pete's creative touchstones for Yarmolenko were basically clay like clay pot making like could be doing anything into. painting
1: if you if you knew anything look if you were the sort of person who could come second on a league like this you'd know that he was into pottery
2: i'm third Good. fourth am i fourth sixth
1: i'm sixth. Sixth. okay six well so let's not you know top off. Let, leave it leave it leave it to the experts
2: i'm proposing and there's a bit of an ulterior motive with this is that i will for the winner, I will mm-hmm. offer up, as a prize, overall, I mean, it may be me, and if it is, I'll just get myself something new, but, I'll, <laughs> but I will offer up a game, I will curate, actually, a game for them from my own personal game collection. A board game.
1: I will match that, and I will get them something as well.
2: Oh, that's nice. Yeah. You know what? Throw me into the bag as well. I'll, I'll, the I'll, I'll toss them in
3: there oh, as well. God. Is
0: this the audio version of us all putting our hands together in the
3: centre? <laughs> yeah.
2: Yes. <laughs>
0: Yeah, in for a penny, in for a pound. Yeah. Does it have as to as be well.
3: games? Can it be? It can anything? be anything. You want. A, a book, a video game, a board game. What? Yeah. Be something nice. Something nice. So.
0: A so movie. Basic,
1: so the person who wins will take away four nice things. Yes. Yeah. yes. All
3: right. I've got something exciting to tell you. Oh no. No. Yeah. Now this is this is ge- this is ge- I think I think you'll genuinely be a little bit excited by this.
2: Okay.
3: At the age oh. of thirty-two, which is where I am right now. Good. i have purchased yeah. my very first Uh-oh. graphic novel yeah that silence is the silence Ooh. of
0: excitement i yeah,
2: think it's it the
0: biggest i've ever seen pete's eyes
2: <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah it's like it started like a startled field mouse. <laughs> yes. we, we've been yes. we've
2: been friends for almost 13 years and finally pete's cracked dan <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> another two decades well,
2: well he well, might
3: want yeah. to wait until he's seen the graphic novel that i purchased <laughs> I've I've read plenty over the years. I, I've I've yeah. but I've usually borrowed them. So so Sam, you've lent me I think some Batman's in the past. You've lent me yeah. uh, Why the Last Man. So I've read those. Read a couple of bits of I think Walking Dead here and there. But I've never actually purchased anything. I've never actually put the money down and said you know what I want this for myself. Cool. So I so I so I ordered this. They actually arrived today. Fortunately.
1: Oh well.
3: Wow. I'm just going to show you because I have it right here. Okay. Yeah. So my first graphic novel you- is The Adventure Zone
1: oh that's really good oh
3: brilliant it arrived by Clint McElroy Griffin McElroy Justin McElroy and Travis McElroy and uh, Carrie Pietz I apologise for rudely saying your name wrong because I'm sure I have Um, but yeah I've purchased uh, the Adventure Zone graphic novel which is a graphic novel uh, adaptation of the first kind of arc of the Adventure Zone podcast series oh that's awesome so yeah so I'm, 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 I arrived today um, I have to say I opened it up and I got it and you know kind of when you open a book and that first kind of crack as you open it yeah no I didn't really get that so I feel like someone's already read this because <laughs> as I opened it just kind of went there was, there was no stiffness in the cover of it I was like ah okay someone's already read it it's fine I don't care
2: I doubt what what books are you reading where you crack them open like an egg. Just like, oh get my get my books off the shelf, tap them on the side. Your Gutenberg Bible. Yeah. Crack them open. I've never ever felt the crack of a sleeve.
0: I know what you mean, Dan. I know what you mean. No. No. It's no. a
3: spine. Yeah. With a spine stretching for the first time. No. I, yeah. I just think that's a different
0: kind of stock. Thing. That's because Sam's got a Kindle, down. I don't think someone's <laughs> in the
2: Amazon warehouse reading... I don't think anyone in the Amazon warehouse has time to stand around reading graphic novels after you hear all the stories are there. For me for me that crack is this is audible (laughs) (laughs) um the on my graphic novel hasn't arrived yet i ordered it ages ago but i assume it's somewhere
3: so i mean it got released today today's that it's been released in the u.s um a couple of weeks back and maybe about a month ago um but it like the release date because i pre-ordered this as well and today was kind of the day they all got they all got sent out so i imagine will probably right in the next few days or so uh but yeah i'm i'm very excited i'm very excited it's actually bigger than i expected It's, it's it's thicker than i expected um i don't know do these do these things have page numbers i don't know no not. yes they do oh, right. uh two about 240 pages of graphic novel adventure goodness
2: and it's and it's really interesting because uh they're number one on the new york times best-selling paperback book list yeah. which is a huge achievement and sort of sets a new precedent for like live role playing and you know all that kind of stuff the fact that Critical Role Critical Role Like they just did A, a kickstarter now They've just launched Their own miniatures for the characters on there yes. on their Critical Role yep. series, so it's I, I just I just think it's fascinating how all this stuff from like that started off as with Dungeons and Dragons, how that's becoming a lot more accepted. Probably isn't isn't the right word, but kind of valued valued probably is is the right word in the mainstream. And also, well,
3: it's it's basically it's it's being seen. Uh, pre- previously, it was just seen as a kind of a geek thing and a, a thing that was done by kind of uber nerds. Whereas now you, you people look at it and they see the other side of it they see rather than just looking at it being done by geeks it's it's about improvisation it's about a social thing and that's what people are, are understanding it to be now more than previously which I thing is why it's become more popular because that is generally that's a thing you do with friends as opposed to people in a room
1: the, the the good things about it have been communicated better yeah it's always it's always been this good
3: yeah i mean something like the adventure and i know i know chris you you're listening to it pete you've listened to i think a couple of episodes yeah. but i think that's i do think that has taken a big big step forward because it showed just a group of people having fun with it like there's a there's a new series from the makes of the simpsons called disenchantment I want disenchanted on netflix I'm fairly confident it's like a fantasy thing between three characters. I'm fairly confident a lot of the inspiration may have come from the adventure zone because that has been such a huge thing. And I think it's interesting that something like that comes out now, as you have this kind of understanding and an appreciation for this type of story, this type of storytelling that's come out. and obviously that they've they've turned into novel, which is fantastic. I mean, I think it's been in the this is they first announced it about two years ago, two and a half years ago. Um so it's taken a while to kind of get to this point, but looks beautiful and i'm super
0: super excited but yeah i now buy graphic novels well i buy one what next oh my gosh pete's second on a fantasy football league table and dan's buying graphic novels what is happening what is happening to this podcast
1: pigs are flying cats are friends with dogs (laughs) say torture is exciting it's very exciting no i'm really really pleased that is awesome
2: I'm, I'm admiring your tan there, Sam. Thanks. You look like you've... I'm admiring yeah. your tan too, Chris. It looks Thank like. you. you guys it are looks jerks. like, just like me, we've been lounging Pete. by a pool for
3: a week. Pete, you're looking rather pale thanks man you're
1: looking
0: that's because he's been at
2: sea yeah you...
1: <laughs> <laughs> you're looking great you're looking great Dan. honestly i think i think you and i have, are well rested yes uh, well I'm, you I'm might well be rested. me not so
3: much i have a baby <laughs> well rested doesn't really come into it so where have you guys been tanning yourselves tell us explain
0: elaborate well i've been to the south of france daniel
2: are oh, we oui. Oh mon Dieu!
0: And I have been adorning my shoulders with Factor Fifteen, which is why I got sunburn on my shoulders. <laughs> oh, Chris. But don't worry, I learnt from my brother a great homemade tip to deal with sunburn. Oh
2: no! Okay, oh, God. is it?
0: Should we guess? What, what? Yeah, guess what? You what is the best thing to smear on your shoulders if you've burnt them? I in the genuinely
2: sun? know what the best thing is, but I'm not thinking you didn't get an aloe plant and rub it on you. It's not butter. It's, it's not it's not butter. butter or something like that.
1: I'm going to say, I'm going to say olive oil. I'm going to say like, I'm going to say like something real, real over the top, like, uh, like margarine or something like that.
0: Uh,
2: shaving foam. Oh, right. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Well,
0: that's based on no science whatsoever. Um, <laughs> no, he read it on a website, shaving foam, which is why he was sat outside in the evening reading a Harry Potter book with shaving foam smeared over his entire torso. Brilliant.
2: <laughs> ah, brilliant.
0: That's amazing. Oh
2: my God. But the
0: question is... How was he son, Ben, afterwards? He wasn't, actually. That's the thing. There you well, go. I was massively. And I made a cock-up. Because today, I, did a, I went to a spa. My parents bought me and my partner like a, one of those Groupon gift things, like a spa day, <laughs> an afternoon it's tea. It's always nice and to relax I stupidly, after a big holiday, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it comes with a massage. And I stupidly put, said, can I Shoulders. have back, neck, and shoulder? <laughs> and it, and you, know, you know when you get... I don't know if any of you have ever done this, but you know when you've ordered a steak and they ask how you want it done? And you say, like, medium, yep. and it comes back completely black, and you think, oh, bloody hell, this is medium. What's well done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the masseuse today, she said, well, how how kind of hard, hard do you want it to be? And I said, well, medium? Oh, my gosh, which basically meant elbows. Yeah. And, and it basically, my back sounded like that satisfying crack that Dan looks for in new books. <laughs> oh, yeah like mainly elbows on my back up up the shoulder it was fantastic it did the job i felt like two inches taller when i came out but oh my word with sunburned shoulders as well oh it was like my back was like the strip of a matchbox on the side essentially
2: <laughs> oh my god
0: it was incredible i don't usually do like pool holidays or anything like that but it was amazing
2: yeah, it's it's the first whenever my me and my family went away when we were a kid it was you know we hired a caravan and we tried not to fight or fall out like Yay. my the most the most compelling memory I have of holidaying as a kid was when I bought <laughs> was when I bought fake cigarettes. You know, there's little tubes that are full of talcum powder and you just like puffed yeah. on them and they just look like... they. I had one of those in a static caravan once and I was just sitting in the back like just puffing away thinking I was well cool and then two minutes later it's like... And it... <laughs> and it was like the owner of the caravan park saying, hello, is your son smoking in the back of here? And I was like, no, it's just fake cigarettes. <laughs> it's <right."> just chalk. <laughs> It's just
0: Tau <laughs> powder. I love the idea. I love the idea so I mean, much. How close was he patrolling the window?
1: <laughs> yeah, that is amazing. I love the idea of you sort of like, sort of like oh, I'm really bored. <laughs> I'm
2: like,
1: just like, that's so lame.
2: <laughs> so, anyway, so you can imagine my excitement um this week when we went to um we went to italy went to the hills of tuscany and uh um, lovely yeah we stayed at this wonderful place it was a bit scary to start off with the instructions of how to get there were quite detailed up to a point where it said get to this pizzeria then call us we'll come get you and it's just like <laughs> all right all right okay I- we'll send the lads <laughs> <laughs> and this guy drove down in his little Fiat 500, because that's what you drive when you're in Italy, you know, yeah. it's the rules. And this very slight looking guy with a tan and a, and a little like grey goatee he took us up this winding oh, yes. hill that we had to... To give you an idea of how isolated this place we stayed at was, the Fiat Panda that we had rented for the week, to get up this hill, had to go up this hill mostly in first gear. <laughs> <laughs> so it was so steep and windy. Uh, it was incredible. And then we arrived at this place, and we had this whole um, house to ourselves. And the people who owned it, they were lovely. Uh, Martin and Shapur and their lovely dog Shadid. Shout out. And they were they were just incredible hosts. Like we'd just be sitting at the pool, and we'd turn around, and and Martine would be there, and she would made like homemade pate on bread with like her own prune jam. What? And Pete, you Pete that and Chris, that could easily
3: have gone the other way though. When you, I mean, I woke up in the night, and Martine was there <laughs> with prune
2: jam. <laughs> It's Sam Smoting at the back of that, <laughs> <laughs> and and the um and they had like their own little allotment on their ground, and they were just like go go and take whatever you want, go and take whatever you oh, want, and wow. they growed like and they were growing like aubergines and courgettes and cucumbers, oh. like shabu we'd just we'd be out having like breakfast and he'd like turn up with a massive cucumber and, and you know in that polite way when you're British and you can't say no we ended up on the holiday with these three massive cucumbers and just like w- make we were just making stuff to put cucumbers in because we had so many of them and and, and was um, thinking
3: god these guys really like cucumber
1: don't they I yeah, exactly. oh, have to go and get another
2: one now they just keep eating them and oh, it was it was bliss because we like they had like this barbecue and we paid some money to have some wood on it and then like we just like we will just go down the garden and get cut up an aubergine, oil it, put it on the barbecue and that was like our dinners. It was it was, it was fantastic and 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 I always thought with beach holidays I would like suffer because I get I not bored because only boring people get bored but I I get quite sort of fidgety like if I'm just sitting there doing nothing so I had to kind of like teach myself how to like just embrace stillness and I was reading an interesting book just just before I went actually that Chris lent me called The Art of Stillness. And the importance oh, that's a great book. And the importance of, you know, sitting still and just like not not even meditating almost, just just the art of like enjoying nothingness and being away yeah. and being away from everything. So I just got a good book, put on a factor thirty and didn't get burnt and just absolutely just relax for a whole weekend we went for a whole week we went we, we did one trip where we went to Florence for the day we went to the Uffizi um, gallery which was great if you really love pictures of Madonna with her child not Madonna the singer but Madonna the <laughs> oh. Virgin. because <laughs> I'll tell you what those renaissance <laughs> painters they got especially Italian they were very ahead of painters. their time they love they love that Madonna and her baby. Um, I love her. Yeah. So, so, so that was lovely. The, the highlight of Florence was seeing Galileo's middle, middle finger, which was fascinating.
1: Well, his actual—it was so hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Just to be clear, this is Galileo's actual middle finger, not some painting called Galileo's middle finger,
2: <laughs> or a, or some
0: kind of star constellation. Yeah, yeah, he's
2: just he's just pointing up at the sun, going, "I figured you out." <laughs> no, no, it's his actual in the Galileo Museum in Florence there's this, um i would I'd, I'd recommend actually the Uffizi's the Uffizi's good but really you only go there to see some Caravaggio like um, his Medusa on a Shield is there, which is absolutely startling. It's just an incredible piece of work. And there's some early um, Leonardo da Vinci, like one of his unfinished works, which is another, like a fascinating piece to see, like how, because you get an idea of how, like one of those massive paintings is constructed, because it looks like he was just halfway through it. And then uh, Botticelli's Birth of Venus is there as well all right but mostly it is like catholic renaissance art and there is only sort of as i previously said there's only sort of like one thing that they really want to depict in catholic italy which is like the, the madonna holding a child and the crucifixion so that's all you see for a lot of the Uffizi. but what's wonderful about italy and florence in particular is obviously the medici family were behind a lot of its prosperity and and, and how the the city was put together. So it is a city built on promoting the arts and the sciences. So alongside the Ephesus the Gala, is the Galileo hmm. Museum, which houses a lot of the um, scientific and sort of medical progressions that were made during the era and funded by the Medici family. And so in there, like Galileo's first... Um, telescopes that he used like astrolabes which is after having played uncharted 3 like it was fascinating to see an astrolabe up close and how they worked and like realizing huh that's an actual thing not just this like mythic thing that naughty dog created that like real like arabic and middle eastern cultures made and used but part of the exhibition is galileo's middle finger his index finger his thumb and one of his teeth
1: oh is he not missing them i think he's dead still Pete. but
2: uh, <laughs> Being a man of science, I'm sure he's definitely not missing missing those parts of him. No. But yeah, fascinating place, Italy. It's great and
3: Yeah, I, I've I've been I've been to Italy once. I went to Rome a number of years back and I absolutely adored it. Um but I, I I'm it's been a while since I did kind of a holiday where I actually properly did stuff, kind of in terms of you going there and you actively going sightseeing and going like when I went to Rome you go and you do all the cultural stuff the, quite a lot of the holidays I've been to kind of well at least pre-baby anyway have been beach holidays because you've, I just wanted to go and lie down and relax and <laughs> just go and lie down Sweet, Just yeah just it? go and lie down in, in the sun have a drink have some food we always, me and wife, always have a thing of it's always no judgement you can do whatever you want on holiday you can drink whatever you want eat whatever you want and you, the other person not allowed to judge you so if you want a bird for breakfast you have a burger for breakfast if you want another Mm. burger for brunch you have another burger for brunch that's absolutely fine doesn't matter where you are even if you're in italy burger's fine
2: talk talking of food since i've come back i've not had and and this will shock you all i've not had a packet of crisps or a sandwich since good lad i just can't we ate so much bread and cheese and pasta yeah Like. Oh
0: no, I, I came back and had a sandwich straight away. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I discovered the Holy Trinity in France. The Holy Trinity for me was just fresh bread, which I picked up for the boulangerie in the morning. Cause I love that in France. It's yeah, so yeah. law that every settlement, so I can't remember the specifics of it, has to have a bakery there um, able where people are able to get bread very early in the morning. It's a brilliant, honestly, yeah. to get fresh French bread. They've got wine on tap. Literally, you go to places and it's like in vineyards and they've got like hose pipes coming out of the wall and you fill up your bottles and that's your wine. So just... i just love that kind of that just you can literally just get these kind of beautiful kind of fresh ingredients the aubergines are not just this dark blackish purple we have here they're all these different shades and hues of purple. it's just incredible the cucumbers the garlic was the size of my fist like a ball of garlic We
2: massive tomatoes um what quickly chris because this you know we've got to stay on brand what what games do you take away with you what was a hit what was a miss
0: the biggest hit, by far, was Survivor, which I first played at your house. Yeah! Um, and I bought the expansion as well, which allowed up to six players. So we play that pretty much every night. Fantastic. Which is basically, uh, for those who don't know, it's a board game where you, the, the premise is that you're on the island of Atlantis at the centre, and the island is made up of these hexagonal blocks. You flip them over, different things happen. But basically, the t- the island itself is sinking, and you have to try and get all your people, designated by your colour, onto boats and to one of the four corners of the board which is safety but on the way there are um, whales there are sea serpents there are sharks that may hinder you or even just eat you and the expansion I've got has got dolphins which can protect you and uh, there is a giant squid which can, which can actually take people off the land so it really adds some very interesting spice to the game but we had a lot of fun with that uh, my mum bought a board game actually Ooh. she's a colleague of hers we had played it with a relative and she brought that and actually Found that quite fun. It's a frantic, fast-paced game for those who like double. I don't know if any of you've ever played double. Yeah, we have. Um, yeah. This is called Cobra Paw. Hmm. You've probably seen it in. It's it's available in most board game shops. It's also like in bookshops like Waterstone, say for example. Imagine you've got dominoes instead of like the little pips, the numbers. You've got like Yong symbols. All right. Yeah. They're all in front of you. So basically say if it was a two player game, one of you rolls two dice and the symbols that are on the tiles are appear on the dice and there's only one set of the combination there, so you won't get that replicated anywhere else. And you've got to quick as you can find the tile that matches that combination of dice. Yeah, it, it but it gets even better because you pull it into your, your air in front of you. But if that combination comes up again, somebody could just take that away from you in front of you. Oh, so you've got a so you've got a guard, not only your own, but look to what other people have got and the centre. It goes up to six players. Uh, no,
2: no. I I mean, I, I, I struggled with Double. I mean, Double, double for me, was the kind of game that made me think, like, am I ill? Like, am, uh, what is wrong with my visual processing? Like, I, I'm... Yeah. I can't turn I'm struggling to turn language into like thoughts like those kind of games just make me think that there's something wrong with part of my mental faculties like I'm generally missing something
1: yeah I I just get I just get massively anxious when I play double
2: yeah yeah (laughs) briefly uh games were a success in (coughs) Italy Featured Carcassonne, just general, m- many of the staples. So Carcassonne, Cockroach Poker, Pit Crew. Uh, what else did I take with me? The Mind. Always bloody good hit. Oh, I played The, I played the Mind. Oh, yeah? Did it go down well? I did, Yeah, I did. I played
3: it. I um, had some friends come round a couple of days ago and we played it. It, w- it went really well. It was a kind of, I think, because we'd, we'd had a few drinks before we played and I think that may have hampered us at least to begin with. I, I What I found really interesting is the fact that it gets more enjoyable and perhaps easier the further into the game you get the more cards you get I felt it becoming easier and you you build that kind of thing and kind of obviously we've already talked about this before those moments where like rapid fire card, 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 card and they're all in line feels Mm -hmm. fantastic
2: yeah it's it's so rewarding that game but the interesting thing that that we took away with this i'll be very brief with this because we have talked about these games before but i just want to make a very good point about one thing is that i took away two of the exit escape room games with me so cosmos were very kind enough to send me two of their games the sunken treasure and a murder on the orient express two of their exit games that they've got out and they're both fantastic Brilliant experiences, and uh, the murder on the Orient Express one was the hardest one I've ever done, mainly because it combines escaping from an escape room but also you having to solve a murder alongside it like that's part of the solution but Interesting. the Sunken Treasure one is if you've never done any of these games before if you've never done an escape room before or ever bought one of these um, boxes to take home with you the Sunken Treasure is one that I would wholeheartedly recommend as a first playthrough so uh, if you see that is that because it's easier
3: or because it just it, it, it flows just, really easily in terms of giving you all the information that you need
2: Difficulty-wise, it's not the most challenging one that I've done, but yeah, it's it's about flow, it's linear. So usually with these games, you get access to the disc and like a little booklet first. The biggest problem I found with Exit is that if you're playing it with like a group of four, it's very tricky for all four of you to sit there with a booklet wanting to to flick through it. Like You kind of just want to sit there on your own and flick through it to see what you can find and see what the puzzles are there with you. With The Sunken Treasure, what's quite interesting is to replicate that feeling of like going down and dropping down the ocean. You just do one page of the booklet as a group at a time. So it's really thematic. It's a lot more engaging as a prospect. So I would heartily recommend Recommend that one if you've never done any of these escape room games before.
0: You've took Carcassonne, Sam. I actually went to Carcassonne. Well, very different to the game in terms of its arrangement, now it's built.
1: <laughs> okay, so we've had another question. This Yay! one is from. Fr- yeah, exactly. Yay. Uh, I can't believe we've managed to actually keep this going. It's pretty good. Uh, this is from at SuperKMX on Twitter, a uh, friend of the show. Uh, Here's the question. Which is better, Barbie's Horse Adventure or Britney's Dance? Uh, Britney's Dance Beat, I think it is.
3: So we're so we so we're, we're really into these hard-hitting questions now. Yeah. yeah
1: I, mean, I mean, here's the thing. Now, we've actually done some research on this. Yes. Now, Britney's Dance Beat, in terms of Metacritic, so for PS2, Metacritic is one of these places where you go and find out whether or not games are any good uh, according to <laughs> as many sites as possible many of which are wrong uh, got a 63 uh, meta score out of 100 so that's that's, that's alright it's, it's not the worst whereas uh, Barbie's Horse Adventures which is there's actually a couple of them but let's go with Wild Horse Rescue 2003's uh, classic I think
2: that's the one he's referring to that's the 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 top of the pile there's
1: only two reviews one from ign giving it a 40 and one from GameZone giving it an
3: 88 wow see see i look at it. what do you prefer to do dance or equestrian i mean what what's better for you
2: it's i don't think it's as simple to answer that dan because no, it's not as simple because to go maybe not to go down further is do you want to dance yeah i prefer dancing to riding and looking after horses but right. How, but how long will I last just dancing to strictly the same list of Britney Spears songs mm. until I think, yeah, I'd really wish I was shoveling shit right now? Because uh, as I used to review games. And when you when you start out as a game reviewer, you get uh, at one point, Pete was technically my boss, so he would hand me games it's to true. review. True. And uh, when you when you first start out, uh, you don't get some of the good games. You have to kind no. of work your way out to, <laughs> to to that. So, two of the first games I reviewed for Pete um, were Robbie Williams Wii Sing" on the mm-hmm. Nintendo Wii, the classic, and yeah. also Spice Girls Wii Sing." Oh my gosh.
3: Let, let, let's let just be honest here, Pete. Were you messing with Sam a little bit here? Were you, did these come <laughs> and you like? Yeah, I'm gonna give these. Uh, this will be funny. This this will no, be a laugh.
1: No. Yeah, it was more. It was more like at the time. It was more like. What can we get hold of that we can write things about? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, yeah.
2: So I've so I've got a history of knowing what it's like to sing um, one person or one band's uh, back catalogue over and over and over again, and it's mm. fun for the first. Few times, uh, and then and then and then and then you quickly realise that, huh? A bit more Robbie now. More Robbie like, let's now get my then. friends over. I've got a karaoke machine now. No, it just strictly plays nothing but Robbie Williams. Sorry, sorry, Nan.
1: Do we all like Robbie Williams? If yes, great. If no, your evening is ruined.
2: No. Uh, so with Britney's dance beat, it's all well and good. Well, you do. Oops, I did it again. And Toxic and the other ones. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Britney's dance beat Gets the edge, but only if you got one of those rubbish plastic mats that you remember you used to get for the PS2 that were so crinkled and creased that were pretty much useless, but yeah. were were fun. And yeah. also, I've done another little bit of research into Britney's dance beat, and apparently it's only 90 minutes long. Because the premise of the game is that you're auditioning to become one of her dance crew. Like she starts off the game saying, like my I, when I'm out touring, the people who dance with me, they're like family, so I need to know that like you are like family so to do that you need to have like five or six auditions before you do like the final audition for Britney.
1: It's also only probably that long because according to Wikipedia the game contains five songs.
2: All oh, right. See, when I was watching videos on it, I just thought, "Oh, that would just miss be like one one section." But no, no really, wow. Rao. So just yeah, five songs. Barbie's Horse Adventure. That is the clear winner. It's my, also. My, 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 I mean, my thinking is also
3: Barbie's Horse Adventure. My thinking behind that is, I play games for escapism. I'm already a bad dancer. I don't need to play a game to tell me I'm a bad dancer. <laughs> yeah. So I've never ridden a horse. So absolutely, Barbie's Horse Adventures escapism. Yeah. Give me a bit of that.
0: You've never yeah. ridden a horse, Dan. I have I'm not. So I've never ridden a, bike, a horse. Never
3: forget. I've ridden
1: a horse. Have you? Yeah. I was always really worried I was going to get thrown off, though. But I didn't. Well, it was
2: okay. Well, you would be. Okay. Well, I, well, I would be. I, I'd, I'd like to do it at some point. And Chris, you're organising the stag, so, mm. so there we go. Barbie's horse adventures. <laughs> <laughs> So that, so that unequivocally, we've answered that question. What is better, Barbie's Horse Adventure, Wild Horse Rescue? We're going with that one. Yeah, because absolutely,
3: one hundred percent. I'm just looking at pictures of Shetland ponies now. <laughs> There's
1: a picture of one of them in it. There's one of them in. They're in cardigans.
2: Okay, <laughs> this is it. That's the end. Stop.
3: Not just, not just to this episode, Sam. Forever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, f- I feel, I feel like this is the pinnacle of this podcast. We should, we'll never beat this. Shetland ponies and cardigans. That's it. Done.
0: That was Staying In with Dan Frost, Sam Turner, Peter Willington and myself, Chris Darby. If you've enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd also like to leave us a review, we'd be really grateful. Visit stayingin.podbean.com for more information and links to all the things we've covered in this episode. And come find us on Facebook or on Twitter. AT STAYING IN POT.--Thanks for listening.